Hi, I'm Ricky Morton of the Rock and Roll Express, and you're listening to Take 4 Wrestling Podcast with Brian and JT. The following podcast is scheduled for one fall with a 60-minute time limit. Coming to the microphone, hailing from Hayes, North Carolina, Playboy Brian Brickhouse and his podcast partner, hailing from the Ozark Mountains, J.T. Hall. Together, they are known as Take 4 Wrestling. This is Take 4 Wrestling, Episode 7. I am Brian Kilby, and like always, I am joined by my friend and yours, my hero, actually, JT Hogg. JT, how's it going? Pretty good. How's everybody going today? Uh, Not bad. Not bad. I'm sitting here. I just had uh, dinner, uh, some General So's. I had Thai for lunch, so I had uh, Thai for lunch and Chinese for dinner, so I'm living on the edge this week. You are. You're an international I am cosmopolitan. My, uh, I mentioned that I told my wife that, and she was like, "You you had Thai for lunch and you had uh, Chinese for dinner. What's up with that?" And I'm like, "They're different. They're not the same thing." Like, and if, even if they were, so what? It's like I am the master of my own destiny. That's right. I always wondered, like, uh, with breakfast, you never see any like Chinese breakfast food, or like, I just, do they just eat eggs? I just wonder. I don't know. I, I have no idea. I would love to have some Chinese cereal, though. <laughs> Chinese cereal. It's probably like dried up shrimp. Uh, I would eat that. Oh, yeah, I love shrimp. I love me some shrimp. So it's probably like the sh- if you've ever had uh, like uh, shrimp f- flavored ramen that comes like at the cup, the cup noodles. Oh, yeah, those are good. That, yeah. yeah, that have like uh, the dehydrated uh, protein in it. It's probably probably would be like that. <laughs> I wonder actually if you can buy that just in bulk, dehydrated shrimp. I am actually going to check that right now because I will forget. <laughs> just uh, yeah, you can put dehydrated shrimp on anything. That'd be... Oh yeah, you can buy dried shrimp from Amazon. Hey, there you go. TFRadio.net slash Amazon. Okay, so um, <laughs> you should put up a uh, TFRadio.net slash dried shrimp for you. I probably should, <laughs> probably should. Okay, so what's the uh, what's the uh, gimmick? Uh, well, okay, before we get into that, so the card that we're going to talk about this week is a favorite of mine, which is Starcade 1985, and we'll talk all about that. Though, of course, after our gimmick of the week, I need to I like I need to like preface what we're going to talk about each week. I'm really bad about that, so apologies. But uh, gimmick of the week, what are we talking about? Well, the gimmick of the week is one of my favorites. He's uh, when he uh, debuted, I was absolutely enamored by this guy, and it is the Boogeyman. So that's like the that's like Jimmy Valiant, the Boogie Woogie Man. No, the actual Boogeyman. Uh, Isn't that what Brutus Beefcake Brutus Beefcake called himself? He was the Booty Man. Oh, the Boogeyman! The Boogeyman. He's from the Bottomless Pit, and um, he was a Martin uh, Martin Wright. So, so this this was the guy that uh, Jim Cornette smacked Santino Morella for, right? Yeah, he he actually had a pretty interesting uh, career. Um, he's kind of like 
I mean, he's pretty successful for the short time he was in and for his lack of wrestling ability. But he, oh, I, I don't remember him actually wrestling. So <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't that great. Well, he he definitely was not very polished. Did you ever have to face off against him? No, unfortunately not. Um, I would love to. I would love to wrestle a boogeyman. In fact, I just talked to uh, one of my promoters the other day and tried to talk him into bringing him in because he actually still does uh, independent appearances. But oh. um, he shot me down. He didn't think he would probably be worth the money to bring him in. But uh, he, uh, the boogeyman actually, uh, he debuted in um, around 2004 to 2005, but he debuted on Tough Enough, if you remember the uh, TV show Tough really? Enough. Did he? Uh, yeah, he uh, he was in the uh, the event in Venice Beach, California, and he made it down uh, past the first day of elimination. But then they actually found out that he was forty years old, and he had lied to him and said he was thirty, and he was cut from the contract, and wasn't allowed to compete anymore. That sucks. But then after that, he was invited to the OVW developmental territory. And um, he trained for probably about four to five months. And um, that's all. That's actually where when he uh, debuted, everybody's supposed to be afraid of him. And that's where Santino was kind of laughing about it when he was in the trainee class. And after the match, Jim Cornette slapped him. Yeah, well, I think this was, I, I think what it was is this was in front of fans. So he didn't if I'm not wrong, I mean, he. Uh, he he basically played off that the boogeyman wasn't that scary uh, in front of fans, and for disobeying, it really ticked Jim off, and Jim snapped him. <laughs> yeah. and that's how Jim lost his job. Yeah, that. Uh, so the boogeyman um, was one of the reasons behind Jim Cornette getting fired. But I think they were probably looking for a reason. I think Jim Cornette said that too, that they were just Problem. looking for a reason to get rid of him. And then, uh, and uh, Boogeyman also debuted on SmackDown uh, during a uh, during a segment with. Um, if you remember that Palmer Cannon guy, I remember the name. He was the uh, supposedly the UPN network executive, and uh, he started doing funny, uh, funny little segments where he would pop up behind the couch of people like sitting sitting there talking. He did the Booker T uh, and Charmel. That was one of his feuds, which uh, he had a match at WrestleMania with. Uh, he feuded with uh, Finley, uh, JBL. Uh, do you remember uh, when he ate the uh, cancerous growth off Jillian Hall's face? I'm glad that I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, JBL had his cabinet, and uh, he hired a fixer named Jillian Hall. And uh, she had this big, like, just growth on her face. It was, like, purple and green. It was nasty. And uh, eventually, uh, Boogeyman got him down in the ring, and he, like, bit it off of her face and ate it. <laughs> Thank God I did not see that. <laughs> I, I absolutely loved the Boogeyman. I thought he was absolutely hilarious. Uh, whenever he came on screen, uh, he, you knew something, something funny was going to happen. Do you remember meeting the Worms? Yeah, I remember. I uh, I do remember that. I'm surprised that uh, Peta didn't get involved in that. Was he actually was he actually eating worms? Yeah, he was eating real worms. Uh, those were I, those were real worms. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, 
I think I think I think PETA probably has like a certain threshold that they have to pay attention to. It probably has something to do with a vertebrae, a vertebra or something. Yeah, I wonder if worms are not under the protection of PETA. Well, I mean, like mealworms and stuff are commonly consumed by other animals, so I, they probably don't care about worms. We should start up our own uh, group for protecting worms' rights. Yeah, probably get Scotty too hot. Get Scotty too hot. <laughs> he could do the commercial. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, he. Uh, I remember when I was, he I was really excited to watch him wrestle for the first time, and because uh, he was a big scary dude. He had the face paint. He was missing his uh, front teeth. He just gyrated like crazy coming out and bashing a clock over his head. But uh, when he got in the ring, that's kind of where the magic kind of stopped with him. (laughs) So what happened? So back in the day, it seemed like they could protect guys uh, who weren't that great in the ring uh, why, why, why couldn't they not like just make uh make up for the fact that he was a crappy wrestler? Well, he he was doing Goldberg style matches, but just the way he moved, it was you could just tell that he didn't really know what he was doing. And uh, then when he started wrestling, uh, like he squashed JBL at the Royal Rumble in under like a minute or two. Was this uh, around the same time that JBL had the title? No, it was right uh, right before he became a commentator. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, during that match, he actually dumped. They actually dropped worms from the ceiling on top of JBL. The hell! And uh, then, uh, but when he got into his feud with uh, Finley, I think he did start to really learn a lot because uh, Finley was the first guy to beat him, and that's when uh, Finley had a. Uh, Hornswoggle. Fit Finley? Yeah. Okay. And uh, Hornswoggle was known, that's when he was known as Little Bastard, if you remember that. I vaguely remember that. He, uh, and Boogeyman actually had a little Boogeyman, a little, a little person dressed up like Boogeyman. (laughs) And uh, Finley actually brought out um, the wrestler in him, and he improved a lot after that. I thought. I mean, well, Fit Finley is known to do that. Yeah, well, Fit Finley, yeah, Fit Finley's amazing in the ring. Uh, and then some, yes. And, um, but he didn't really last too long after that. He, uh, they got, he got drafted over to ECW about 2007, 2009, and then uh, got hurt a few more times and he got released. He uh, did some things on the independent circuit. Of course, he didn't own the Boogeyman name, so they called him Slither and Nightcrawler. But uh, he would make um, sporadic uh, appearances in WWE on pay-per-view. Like, he showed up at the Slammys Awards and uh, showed up at the 2015 Royal Rumble. Yeah, I remember that. And uh, not too long after that, he signed a Legends contract with WWE. Okay, cool. So he, that's that's surprising, but uh he had a heck of a career. Uh he's 52 right now. Uh so he was old when he started, but uh I say he got the biggest bang out of his buck. Made a lot yeah, of money most, in a mo- short amount of time. Yeah, most guys don't start that late. Yeah, I'll definitely. If that would like it would be insane uh thinking about what you got to go through especially when you're training and especially at that level of WWE cuz I, I'm sure about anybody could probably go to a low-level independent wrestling school and probably do just fine. But Hey, I'm not 40 <laughs> yet. I could start. There, That's true. 
I got an open offer for you to come down and train anytime. That'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> don't, I mean, I like, don't, I, I've honestly, seriously, uh, as a kid, just like, you know, I wanted, I wanted to be, uh, WWF champion, you know, when I was, when I was seven. So maybe I can live that dream. You never know. You're never too or old. Or not. You might have to eat some worms or something. Oh, God. Okay. So, uh, speaking of not eating worms, though, uh, Starcade 1985, in my estimation, is pretty darn spiffy. Uh, last week, uh, you said that, uh, the WWWF show is kind of your jam. Well, for me, Starcade 1985 is, you know, in my mind, what wrestling should be. Uh, so. Did you? What did you think overall first? I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun to watch. It had a lot of uh, great matches in it. So watching this, um, I was surprised, and I thought it might have been an error, uh, that uh, the WWE Network, and again, everything we're watching is off the WWE Network, uh, but I, I thought it was odd that it was rated TVMA. But then I remembered, well, what, Abdullah the Butcher is in it. <laughs> And then there's a lot of juice throughout this whole thing. Yeah, that that when the TVMA popped up, I was, I was pretty surprised. I don't think I've ever watched anything. I don't even think the ECW was TVMA, was it? Uh, I don't think so, no. I mean, there wasn't as nowhere near as... I mean, Terry Funk did get really, really bloody. But um, I, I think, you know, gallon for gallon, there's more blood in this. Yeah, this was a very bloody show. In fact, I think I counted it, and I think it was 14, 16. I think there were 16 blade jobs in the show altogether. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of blood in this. I mean, that, that's true. Uh, I'm, try, I'm trying to think of other shows, and it does seem like there's way more juice in this than in most other wrestling shows, even as far as I can remember, maybe more than most other Starcades. Yeah, this had to be, this was one of the bloodiest shows I think I've ever seen, but it, it was good. It was a lot of fun. Uh, this is like the violence of what wrestling is. Yeah, this is definitely. And the product from this compared to WrestleMania one is oh, completely different. Oh yeah, it was jarring. Uh, I was I was what you would be probably consider a WWF baby. I never watched yeah, me, a lot me, of me that. Me too. Yeah, I, it was late. Like I didn't start watching the stuff until I was ten or eleven, and I found like my grandma's uh, tapes that she had captured off satellite. Uh, she was de my grandma loved Ric Flair. She, she, I mean, she said I don't I don't know if it's true, but she said back in the seventies that she would exchange letters with him. Um, whether he actually, whether he actually wrote her back, I don't know, but that's the story that she told me. Well, that's cute. She was, she, uh, was she at any of these shows? Yeah. Well, uh, actually I think my grandpa was at this. Oh, wow. Uh, I know my friend, uh, Jason, his dad was at this, at, uh, both of them would have been at, um, uh, Greensboro, not at the Omni, but it caused, of course, this show half of it takes place at the omni in atlanta and half of it is at the greensboro coliseum yeah well that's pretty cool that's a nice little trivia mm -hmm. i wonder if uh that's too bad you couldn't have seen him on there if you were watching it's so dark how could you yeah i i do like uh i think this was during the national anthem uh when everybody got so excited when they got on the uh the big uh television screen mm -hmm. <laughs> So, uh, like, you know, obviously people were so into this. I, I, my grandma would tell me a story 
uh, that my grandpa who chewed tobacco uh, had a spit cup and he got so pissed off at a heel that he actually took his cup and threw it. <laughs> and it actually hit a woman a few rows ahead. Uh, <laughs> just the most disgusting thing. But man, people were, people believe this stuff, you know? Well, it, it looked real. Uh, I mean, all this stuff looked real. Even, uh, I mean, they could, they blow, they blew a few spots in the show, but a regular fan couldn't tell that, especially a I fan could, during this time. I didn't, I couldn't tell. I didn't notice anything in particular. And, uh, that's a, it's just when you can draw that emotion out of people and convince them of something that chances are they know isn't all on the up and up. That's mm-hmm. just an amazing thing. Like, uh, actually, we can have an example of this in today's wrestling with the finish of the Randy Orton-Brock Lesnar match. Oh, yeah, where uh, basically Randy uh, took several several elbows to the face and got busted open hard way and uh, bled right in the middle of the ring. And it was like... I. I think that's probably one of the best finishes I've seen in a long, long time. I was confused, but apparently that was what was supposed to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I saw a wrestling podcast where they were talking about it was unnecessary that the crowd was confused by it and be like, well, that's the emotion they wanted from it. You know, they wanted, cause when I watched it, when I first watched, I was like, is that a shoot? And, um, then I looked, I was like, did he blade? And I watched it again. I was like, there's no blade there. And then when I saw the picture of his actual busted open head. Do you ever see the blade? I have never, ever, ever actually noticed <laughs> the actual blade. I can I can tell pretty good just because I know like what how they do it and stuff. Um, I, I've heard enough stories on how they do it where I, I have a pretty good idea. But usually, like, the blade is so small, it would be hard to pick up on TV. Well, it's not necessarily that I see the actual blade, but I see the motion. Oh, the motion. Yeah. Okay. Or you can, or sometimes you can just tell when you see the, the, the injury. But some of, I mean, some of those guys are so slick at it. Like, uh, Ric Flair is a legendary blader. Dusty Rhodes was. Uh, Dusty, Dusty Rhodes' forehead sure didn't look like he was. It looked like he was legendary, but not that he was great at it. He just did it so often. <laughs> he, yeah, uh, he his forehead did look like a uh, just a bunch of a pile of meat, hamburger meat. Yeah. Okay, so the first match, uh, Crusher Khrushchev, and I love the finish to this match uh, versus White Meat Babyface Sam Houston. <laughs> yeah, Sam. Uh, uh, one of our gimmicks of the week recent of it, it's recipitants was crusher khrushchev mm-hmm. uh he was the became the repo man later on mm-hmm. actually i have a funny uh sam houston story from sure from my uncle oh neat tell me my uh my when my uncle was wrestling out uh i think it was around the kansas area dusty Rhodes was booking out there i think he was booking for um harley race and they wanted uh jr to lose to sam houston in like 20 seconds uh, just where he would attack him and hit him with the bulldog pin him one, two, three. Well, Sam Houston was even skinnier then than he was on this show. Mm-hmm. And my uncle just flat out refused. He said, he's like, now I'll go out there and I'll lose to my way. I'll lose my way, but I'm not going to go out there and lose clean in 20 seconds. Of that skinny son of a B. Yeah. And uh dusty Rhodes got, 
he got pretty mad at him. And um, so my uncle actually got to uh, tell Dusty Rose that he's like, F you, and just walked out of the office and quit. Wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, my uncle, he was pretty crazy like that. He would, he, he always told me that he was uh, originally going to be uh, Uncle Elmer in WWF. Because mm-hmm. he was real good friends with Hillbilly Jim and Cousin Junior. And uh, Cousin Junior was actually a tag team partner of mine for about five or six years before he died. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was originally, they wanted him to come in to be the Uncle Elmer character, but he didn't want to work for Vince McMahon. He didn't like him. And he knew that he could make more money on the independent circuit than he could in WWE at the time, which. Uh, I think he might. I asked him, I was like, do you regret that decision? I was like, you could have been at WrestleMania too. He's like, nope. Of course, he is a pretty proud guy. But uh, he also recently, uh, do you remember when that show with the uh, Big Show and Hulk Hogan was supposed to happen in Memphis? Uh, Big Show or the Giant? Uh, Actually, it was going to originally be Jerry Lawler against Hulk Hogan. And then it was uh, it was during that time when Big Show left WWF for a while. He filled oh, in no. because Jerry Lawler wasn't allowed to wrestle Hulk Hogan at the time because he was in TNA. It was uh, supposed to be a big, uh, just a huge Memphis show. And um, Cousin Junior worked the show as a moon dog, and he brought JR with him. And uh, I get a call from Cousin Junior, and he's just absolutely livid at JR. Because JR was backstage trying to tell uh, Jerry Lawler how to run a wrestling show. Oh, my God. And Cousin Junior is just, he's like, I don't know what to do with him, man. I don't know what to do with him anymore. Like, he's sitting there telling Jerry Lawler how to run a wrestling show. Like, Jerry Lawler doesn't know how to run a wrestling show. (laughs) I think Jerry Lawler knows how to run a wrestling show. Well, my, my uncle was an interesting sort. That's funny. But, uh, yeah, I guess we'll get off that side and go back to the match. Yeah, so <laughs> I, love the, I love the ending. So basically what happened is uh, Sam Houston did his finisher. And I, oh, goodness, what was it? Was it a bulldog? Yeah, I think it was a bulldog. And uh, Khrushchev, of course, put his foot on the rope uh, as the uh, ref uh, was counting. And, uh, of course, that broke the, the count. Uh, then Crusher, Khrushchev got his finish in. And then uh, Sam Houston, uh, in the course of the count, put his foot up on the rope. <laughs> the ref didn't see it, and uh, Khrushchev uh, basically uh, pulled his leg down. And, of course, it went, um, you know, that he won. So here's something, though, that threw me off. So I didn't hear the announcers mention or talk about the finish, but then it occurred to me. It's the fact that they were using this uh, house music. You know how they they, uh, change a lot of the uh, theme songs because of copyright? Yeah. So a lot of times you lose commentary and other things because of that. And uh, that must have been what happened here because it was basically it went to silence and it just started playing this generic music. I really hate the generic music. Yeah, that's unfortunate that they went back and changed. Like, I know why they had to, uh, because of copyright reasons. Oh yeah, but there should be some sort of law that it should always be like in that. You know, what I'm talking like if it's filmed in that era, you shouldn't have to worry about the copyrights like of another well, era. You know, kind of. I mean, 
Well, I mean, unfortunately, it's not the way it works. Yeah. And, of course, I mean, you, things do go into public domain, but it takes like 70 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just a shame because – and the music they pick for these things are so horrible. Yeah, it's like they have a – I mean, they almost certainly do. Like the radio station that I worked at, we – in our production room – we had all of these CDs on the wall that had all of this uh, royalty-free music that we could use. We had CDs and CDs and probably 100 of them. Uh, WWF, WWE, uh, their studio probably has the same thing, so they just go through and pick whatever. Yeah, I think they've been selling a lot of theirs. Um, I've noticed like kind of their generic wrestling music showing up on like commercials. I know uh, Crash Hollies and the Hardy Boys have showed up on commercials before. It may be that – yeah, I don't know. That's weird. Never noticed that. So, but yeah, uh, next match, uh, I'm like, oh, this is why it's TVMA. <laughs> it's Abdullah the, Ver- uh, Abdullah the Butcher versus uh, Manny Fernandez. And this is a freaking sombrero on a pole <laughs> match. Yeah, this is another one of those matches that would never fly today. I Yeah. Um, it wasn't a great match, of course. Uh, I mean, it, it was what it was. But it was a frickin' sombrero on a pole. So I really didn't think all of that stuff happened. All of the stupid on a pole gimmick was really a thing until, like, the 90s. But no, here it was. Yeah, uh, Manny Fernandez came out with his bandoliers. And uh, yeah. he actually he hit, I guess his finisher was called the Flying Burrito. And I, I, I've, I didn't notice that. Like, I've, I was never a big, uh, I never watched a lot of Manny Fernandez matches. Me neither. A lot of the stuff, though, um, you mentioned the the finisher name. So, admittedly, I watch a lot of the stuff on mute while I'm um, like working or doing other things. So, I didn't catch what they they called it, but I, I did feel a little disgusted when I realized that the gimmick for the match was <laughs> a sombrero on a pole. Very. The '80s was a very insensitive time in wrestling. Sure was. Which I'm surprised uh, yeah. he was actually uh, a face. Of course, he was taking on an Arabian guy, so. Probably yeah. a, a Mexican is more liked than an Arabian guy during that period. So, uh, <laughs> what did you think of the match overall? Uh, it was it was bloody. Uh, everything looked real. Um, it wasn't it wasn't a super great five star match, but I think it got the uh, got the story over they wanted to tell. And I mean, Ab- Abdullah was uh, you know I mean he he was a spectacle. He was there to be. Uh, to entertain people, uh, not really to uh, work. Uh, so he, you know, he did what he did. He was actually, I thought he moved around great in this match. Like he was, uh, he was pretty fast and uh, compared to where he was when I when I finally got to see him live. Oh yeah, which was like ten years ago. <laughs> Later on, he's uh, he doesn't move a lot, but yeah, I, I thought it was an all right match. It wasn't wasn't the best match on the card. Wasn't the worst. Actually, I don't think. Well, I don't. There wasn't real. I I really have a problem calling any of the matches worse, because. Uh, I mean that would be up there. Yeah. Uh, probably the maybe the Jimmy Valiant match. No, not the Jimmy. No, the boogie. Uh, what was it? Yeah, the Jimmy Valiant match, maybe. Um. Oh, that the, was one of my favorite matches on the card. Really, I I I I honestly <laughs> sort of. Didn't pay attention a lot to it, so when I was uh, going back and forth, what I saw didn't uh, didn't really uh, make my day. Actually, yeah, I'm actually going through my notes right now. Um, maybe the Ron Bass actually worst match would have. Actually, no, J.J. Dillon did a pretty good job when he uh, 
Uh, actually, yeah, you're right. There, there wasn't much on this on this that was bad. Yeah, it's definitely, this is actually yeah, it's a, one of the it, first. And this actually has my favorite match of all time on it. So, but we'll get to that here in a few minutes. Oh, okay. Now, uh, the third match was the uh, Battle of the Cowboys. Yeah, Ron Bass versus Black Bart. Which I thought was funny that this was the third cowboy on the show. Yeah, that's funny. A lot of uh, uh, a lot of out of work cowboys must have became wrestlers during the early eighties. Mm-hmm. And the the uh, stipulation of this was if Ron Bass wins, he gets five minutes uh, with JJ uh, Dillon. And this was about the time that the Horsemen um, formed. So I was surprised that JJ was out there in a t shirt and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, Ron Bass. I don't uh, remember a lot about Ron Bass. Uh, I think his biggest career moment was when he whipped uh brutus barber beefcake with a belt and uh bloodied his face all up and uh that's actually how he got out uh brutus beefcake missed his match with honky talk man and ultimate warrior took over and won the intercontinental title but yeah almost all my ron bass memories are from wwf probably about 89 to probably 87 to 89 and mm-hmm. uh, Black Bart, I don't really remember him at all. Yeah, me neither. But uh, I mean, this wasn't wasn't a horrible match. Uh, Ron Bass reminded me a lot of uh, Black Jack Mulligan. Yeah. So when I actually saw him, I had to think: Is this Black Jack Mulligan? Yeah, he's like a shorter Black Jack Mulligan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But J.J. Uh, uh, J. Dillon was getting some massive heat. He, well, yeah, he was good at it. So and. Um, I mean, this was a bloody affair, too. And all these matches, they're just realistic, bloody affairs. This was, I mean, this looked like two two cowboys duking it out in the middle of the ring. So, uh, actually, to that. So, well, let me just quickly, Ron Bass wins. So he gets five minutes with J.J. And uh, J.J. holds his own, actually does pretty well. But to your point about how it looked uh, realistic. So, part of the reason that the WWE... Uh, said or decided that they didn't want to have color as often as they did was that like in real fights, people's foreheads don't bust open. So I wonder how many people caught on just with all of the forehead bleeding that happened in professional wrestling that (laughs) maybe something was up. That's a good point. You know, I I guess I never thought about that before. So I guess everybody uh, does perfectly bleed from their forehead. Almost every, like almost every single match, especially later on, uh, there's color, and it's almost invariably on your <laughs> forehead. I guess you could probably uh, gig your ear. You I could, guess. you could. I think I've seen that. Yeah, I think Rowdy Piper did that in his match with uh, Greg Valentine. Okay, so we said uh, we'd question what was the uh, worst match on the card. I think it's going to be the arm wrestling match between Superstar Billy Graham and the Barbarian. Yeah, that wasn't yeah, that wasn't a real great match. And I I hate these because of course something's going to happen. It's not going to be a, a true contest and uh it's just a way to get heat. Yeah, definitely. Uh I mean, the match wasn't I think on any other show this match probably would have been just fine. It's like this is really like something you would see on TV. Yeah. Yeah, this wasn't like a seemed like a Starcade match. But, of course, it was the 80s. Yeah. And things were different then. And people believe this stuff, so 
maybe you can justify it. It's hard to put ourselves in that 1985, um, you know, <laughs> non-smart fan uh, mindset. So, yeah, it's def- like I, I try to put myself back in that and I just I can't anymore. I try to. That's how I try to watch wrestling. Uh, and I think it helps helps me enjoy it more, but it, it's really hard. So I, I don't want to focus too too much on this. So what's uh, the next match was uh, Buddy Landell versus Taylor, uh, Terry Taylor. Uh, I don't actually didn't actually take a single note from this. What did you think of the, What did you think of the match overall? Oh, it was it was an all right match between two young guys. It was their high flyers. I thought it was interesting that uh, JJ Dillon was with kind of like the other nature boy. Um, but it was, it was, it was an all right match for what it was. So, and Buddy Landell died uh, last year. Um, sort of surprisingly, he was only what in his early fifties. Yeah. He wasn't very and, old at all. And, and like, for whatever reason, uh, in my mind, it's hard. For, like, I want to think, I know obviously he wasn't, but in my mind, Buddy Landell was, an older version of the nature boy. Like, you know, so he, the reason like in my mind, Ric Flair is the, the ultimate and, you know, perennial, uh, nature boy. Anybody who, uh, anybody who had that gimmick had to proceed Rick and Rick perfected it. So, uh, (laughs) buddy Landell sort of having that sort of that same gimmick. Uh, I don't know. It's just, it's hard for me to imagine anybody else, trying to be the nature boy after Ric Flair just doesn't just doesn't compute. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because the nature boy was almost like a uh, other gimmick, like being a hillbilly or being a, being a police officer or something like mm-hmm. <laughs> there was multiple nature boys mm-hmm. and uh, Ric Flair just kind of, he's the one that exploded with it. And uh, I don't think they ever even uh, feuded over this, over the nature boy name. Did they? I don't, not as far as I know. It was just kind of interesting. I mean, Buddy Landell looked like a nature boy, definitely. Yes. Uh, so was that his actual name? Did he take the name Buddy from Buddy Rogers, or was that his act? I don't remember. His uh, actual name was William Esner. Okay. And I'm assuming then that he took his name from Buddy Rogers. Yeah, I would imagine. It, it, it only makes sense. <laughs> yeah. The, it was uh, interesting seeing the pre-Red Rooster. Uh, yes. All full Terry of... Taylor all full of life. And, uh, I think, uh, cause that, that gimmick kind of crushed him. I don't think mm-hmm. he ever quite recovered from it. No. And, uh, I noticed the, uh, some of the referees tonight were dressing like, uh, Bruce Lee from game of death with uh, the I whole yellow. Did, did, I, I didn't know. <laughs> it was just, uh, kind of interesting. So basically that was probably the highlight of my match. Noticing of that match was noticing, uh, that the referees were all dressed like Bruce Lee, but I did really enjoy the finish. Uh, yeah, what was what was the finish to this? Uh, t- Terry Taylor went for a superplex off the top rope, mm-hmm. and uh, JJ Dillon like grabbed his yeah, foot yeah, as yeah. he went off and tripped him, and Buddy Landell came right on top. And uh, I thought that was a really, I, it looked really good. They they hit it pretty good. And that's uh, I love that finish. Actually, I've used that quite a bit on the uh, suplex into the ring because it's mm-hmm. just a great way to it's a great way to get heat. Yeah, and I like I love finishes like that and like uh, the finish where you talking about uh, in the first match when he got 
when uh, he p- got pinned with the bulldog, and then he pinned the guy, but his foot was on the rope too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a great way to get heat, and it's hard to get heat like that nowadays by the fans because these fans, there's no way that a single person in this building went home and felt cheated. No, no. Every way. single person in that crowd, had fun. with the possible exception of the fact that half the show is closed caption or uh, closed circuit TV. Well, yeah, that's true. I guess I didn't think about that. Yeah, but that's <laughs> but even then, I would you know I'd still think that you had to feel like you got your money's worth. Did they actually show the other matches? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was shown on. The, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, like on a, a TV above the ring or something. Well, they probably still had a good time though. I mean, yeah, because I'm sure they probably. I don't, I don't even know how much tickets would have been back then. There probably wouldn't have been much. Couldn't have been much. Probably like five or six bucks. Uh so this, so I've watched this uh, paper. I've well, it is a pay per view. I've watched this show uh, several times, but one of the matches for that, for whatever reason, I never remember, is the Minnesota Wrecking Crew uh, versus Wahoo McDaniel and uh, Billy Jack Haynes. <laughs> and I, you know, I. I love the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, of course, and Wahoo. Um, but this was a—it's a really good match. But I don't know for some reason. To me, it's not really memorable. Yeah, uh, I uh, really enjoyed Billy Jack Haynes in this. He's just man—he's like the uh, epitome of what a man should be. I think. Yeah. <laughs> just huge, bulky, uh, big beard. Like he just looks like he's somebody you don't want to mess with. I, I well, absolutely not, and I definitely w- I wouldn't have messed with anybody on this. That's true. But to me, yeah, to me though, like I, I of course I love Arn Anderson. Um, I love Arn Anderson, but to me, in my mind, the guy, of course, is the biggest man in this is Wahoo. Yeah, Wahoo, Wahoo was a man. Yeah, that's true. He was, uh, and he this was a little more towards the later part of his career. Oh, absolutely, because uh, he was a huge star. I think in the seventies, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. And um, but uh, it was it was a good tag match. Like uh, Arn and Oli, any anybody that wants to do tag matches need to watch Arn and Oli. Absolutely, uh, there's a, a team right now that's uh, very much reminiscent of the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, the Revival. Oh, really? You need to check them out. I will definitely check them out because they uh, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew was just like they're they're what a heel tag team needs to be. Yeah, I. Uh, because tag team wrestling is kind of a, I think it's kind of a lost art. It's starting to come back, I think, because there's a lot of actual tag teams nowadays, uh, especially in NXT. It seems like they're really having like some sort of tag team like resurgence. But mm-hmm. there for a long time, it just it, it went away, and a lot of people. And a tag match is actually a pretty hard match to work too, because there's oh, yeah. there's a certain formula to it, and. Uh, a lot of guys just don't understand the formula and you can sit there and explain it to them over and over and over and over again. And they just don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. No, but yeah, the revival, uh, definitely uh, reminiscent. And even uh, Jim Cornette uh, mentions that he thinks they're the best tag team, uh, going today. Are they better than the young bucks? Uh, just a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah. Even Wahoo and, uh, Billy Jack, I thought worked really well together mm-hmm. for, uh, I don't, I'm assuming that they must have teamed together and they just weren't a thrown together team, but, um, they were, uh, uh, of course, Wahoo took the heat and he was really good about it. 
firing up when he needed to. And uh, I like the finish to this match, too, a lot with uh, Ole tripping uh, McDaniel and Arn pinning him. Uh, I thought that was a really good finish, too. Yeah, absolutely. Because it was quick, and uh, Billy Jack Haynes didn't even have a chance to get in before the three count. Yeah. Yeah, uh, really really good, but like I said, not super memorable. But I think the reason is is because it's the match that immediately precedes my favorite match of all time. And I admit it's not it's not a five-star classic in terms of execution or anything. But I have for my entire life loved Magnum TA versus Tully Blanchard in the I Quit match. <laughs> yes, it was, it was a it was fun to watch. Now I love this match. I I I love I love the match. I Sometimes I will just walk around and be like, see it, see it. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no. Like that's like a running joke with me and my friends. Um, I love this match. Yeah. Tully Blanchard was so underrated. I thought. Oh yeah, t- definitely. Uh, and I mean, in Magnum TA, this was at the height of his popularity. And uh, he was such – he had such a good look, and he was so good. It's a shame that his career was cut short. Yeah, that that is a shame because who knows how big he could have been. He could have he, – he had limitless potential. Yeah. He could have been another Dusty Rhodes. I know it's uh, – I'm probably going to be uh, – it's a pretty controversial thing to say about Tully Blanchard, but I think he gave Ric Flair his swagger. I, 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 I think Tully Blanchard was better than Ric Flair. On swagger. Now you can send all the hate mail to Brian. That's Kilby, a bold statement. But... That's a bold statement. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I don't think you could. You could, I don't think you could have had a horseman. Uh, I, I. So Arn, of course, was Arn was, in my mind, sort of the backbone of the of the horseman. Yeah. Uh, and gosh, it depends on which version of the horseman you're talking about. But in my mind, the three guys that are core horsemen that you can't have a four horseman without discounting jj Dillon as manager because you have to have jj but of course arn uh rick and tully yeah uh i mean that you can argue who's the be- better fourth person whether it's barry windham or Oli or whoever uh but <sighs> yeah but yeah no I, I tully was great yeah to- uh i i loved uh even as a kid, I loved the Brain Busters in WWF, and I, I especially like Tully. There's just something about him, and if he would have been able to stay clean, uh, it's hard to tell how f- – it's kind of weird because he did make it pretty far, but I think when he left WWF that second time and didn't get picked up by WCW because I think well, he fell a, a drug test, I think at the time – I don't remember. He uh and uh he was just he was an amazing worker. He uh everything about him was just it was just swagger. You know, like he the confidence. I'm a I'm a big Tully Blanchard fan. He's great. So as a kid, I think as as an adult and as a kid, I think I enjoy this match for the same reason even though it's it's cognitive dissonance. I know I know it's not true, but obviously now, but as a kid, it seemed so realistic that, you know, this match just because there was so much blood and, you know, so much like back and forth, uh, like at that end when they're fighting over the uh, uh, when Tully has the 
uh, chair, uh, broken chair. Like he's he's trying he's like forcing it. He's trying to like uh, stab uh, Magnum TA in the in the forehead. Yeah. As a kid, it looked like eye, but in the forehead. And Magnum TA fights him off and throws him, and uh, he's able to go get it. I don't know. That just seems so like real to me. And even as an adult, I watch this and I feel that way. And I know obviously it's a work. Oh yeah, it's still it it holds up. I mean. They're fighting over that thing, and uh, I like how Magnum TA was kneeing him in the side, like he was just doing whatever he could. It looked like a knife fight in a movie. So, <laughs> and I think this, I think also this is sort of a North Carolina thing because in a lot of ways, uh, Jim Crockett Promotions is really part of, especially the Charlotte area, uh, like part of the cultural DNA. Um, and I was reading a, I was reading a, a short story uh, about Charlotte, North Carolina. Years ago, and this story, or at least an analog of it, uh, took, uh, you know, was actually one thing that popped up about, you know, what made Charlotte, Charlotte. Of course, the match didn't take place in Charlotte, but it originated from Charlotte. So, like, I don't know, there's just part of this, it's just like, this is part of my culture. (laughs) This is part (laughs) of what makes me who I am. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not the greatest match of all time, but it's my favorite match of all time. So, well, definitely wrestling. And Charlotte, North Carolina, like they go together. It's just everything goes together. I think NASCAR tried to take it, take the mantle, but I would say wrestling is more ingrained in in the North Carolina culture. Yeah, I mean, like, well, so I I live right now at the at the uh, in the town where NASCAR is headquartered. So, I mean, locally now, NASCAR is much more ingrained into the culture, but back then it was definitely wrestling. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I love the match, love the finish. Uh, just bloody, brutal. I mean, whatever you can say. Brutal. I like, uh, at the end, Magnum TA, uh, when he's cutting the promo with uh, Johnny Weaver. Uh, he... Oh, God, Johnny Weaver is rough throughout <laughs> this. Did you, He just looked confused the whole time. Did you get that from him? Yeah, so Johnny Weaver is one of those guys that if you talk to people, locals here in North Carolina, on who was like the guy, people who watched wrestling in the 70s, almost all of them say Johnny Weaver was the man. So it's interesting. I I, I think it has to be a North Carolina thing, <laughs> but people but people who lived and watched wrestling in the 70s, Johnny Weaver to them was the greatest wrestler who ever lived. Well, he has a pretty gnarly uh, forehead too. He does. Uh, yeah, it was just he just looked confused the whole night. It was I loved watching his promos, especially when you could tell that the camera was focusing on him too long, and he's just like sitting there waiting. And, and yeah, he's just waiting <laughs> for it. Yes, yeah, early on, it gets it's it's really bad. But yeah, uh, I liked what Magnum Ta said during that promo. Uh, he said he was like, "This wasn't a wrestling match." You made me do this, and now I can get back to defending this title and wrestling matches. You know, like I like that. That yeah. was just great. Yeah, so awesome. Uh, so next match uh, again because it falls right after uh, the match that I really just go back and forth and rewatch all the time. Uh, the Jimmy Valiant and Miss Atlanta Lively <laughs> versus the Midnight Express. Uh, I again, I don't have a, a strong memory about about this match. Um, when I watched it this time, I was splitting my attention between it and some work. Uh, 
like when I like when I first saw it, I thought it was a tuxedo match for some reason. Yeah, the, it was weird. The Midnight Express both came out in tuxedos, and uh, I don't know why that would be a street fight in Atlanta, but I guess if you're in the Atlanta nightclubs. But uh, yeah. this was actually one of my favorite matches on the card. Um, what was it about the match that uh, spoke to you? Well, I just love the fact that because I, I wasn't watching wrestling at this time, I had no idea why Rugged Ronnie Garvin was dressed in drag. And I don't think they mentioned it in the commentary. And um, I'm, That's right. He, he did do that. I'm, of course, a big uh, Midnight Express and Jim Cornette fan. And I just uh, tagged with Jimmy Valiant last weekend. So <laughs> I think that might have skewed my perception. Jimmy's still, Jimmy's still wrestling? Yes. Uh, I, yeah, I did a, uh eight-man tag with him in um, Cross Lanes, West Virginia, just I'm, Saturday. I like I saw Jimmy uh, uh, last month, and obviously, you know, Jimmy's old. Yeah. When, the last time I saw Jimmy wrestle was like 13 years ago, and he was really old. <laughs> I can't imagine. I, I assumed that he was long retired at this point. No, he moves really well. Like, he still does the whole dancing. He's dancing constantly. Uh, he does the whole uh, – he doesn't – He's always making noise, especially when he's out in the ring. He's mm-hmm. he's always going like, home, yeah, home, daddy, home, yeah, home, 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 home. and uh, it was it was great watching him because I, I had the best seat in the house, being right on the the apron with him, and uh, it was just cool because you could tell that Jimmy Valiant loves wrestling. He's not doing this for oh money. yeah absolutely. He's not doing this for any other reason. Just the simple fact that he loves it, and he loves it a lot. And uh, he was really appreciative. Um, I gave him one of my like I t- I I throw out pigs to the ring, or I throw out pigs to the crowd, and I gave him one of my pigs, and he threw it out, and he uh, he was like, "Thank you, brother. That was fun. Thank you." That's, that's awesome. And uh, so yeah, he's not as, he's he's not as old as I thought. I just I just did a quick Google. Uh, so he he would have been about sixty one, sixty two when I saw him wrestle last. He's seventy four now. That was actually on a card with uh, Bullet Bob Armstrong, who's seventy six now. So he would have been in his early sixties as well. <laughs> but they seem so much older. I don't know. It must have been because I was in my twenties at that point. Yeah. But yeah, J- uh, Jimmy Valley. Yeah, he's still he's still getting in it. Uh, Rugged Ronnie Garvin just started wrestling again too. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna to try to talk uh, the promoter into bringing some of these guys in because I love I, I love watching these guys and uh, talking to them in the back and uh, it's just it's so it's so cool to be in the ring uh, be in the ring with guys like that like uh, Rugged Ronnie Garvin and Greg Valentine's I Quit match the Royal Rumble I I've watched that match a ton and I don't even think it's necessarily because it was really that great of a match it was just something I remember as a kid mm-hmm. watching, but, uh, but yeah, uh, so all four of these guys in my, in this match were people that I really enjoyed watching. And, uh, of course, Jim Cornette being in it. I love it. Uh, especially when he got stripped at the end in his underwear. So wait, so Ron Garvin is wrestling again. How old is he now? Oh, he's gotta be, Let's see here. He is like 60, 71. Early, early, I would think early 60s. Holy crap. Yeah. Like, is it just because they need money? I think they just, uh, 
like really boogie woogie man was still in pretty good shape i thought yeah uh i mean for being being 74 and able to get into a ring and of course he didn't bump or do hardly any moves <laughs> he just did a bunch of like uh eye pokes and he punched the, or pinched the guy in the groin i mean it was just mm -hmm. but he was dancing out there uh when I think of like my before my grandma passed away, she was like seventy two and she couldn't hardly walk. So yeah. I'm thinking, you know, like a normal like a normal person at seventy two is usually not as spry as some of these guys. But uh, like when I was uh, I was in a battle royal with Ox Baker on his eightieth birthday. Holy crap, that's crazy! Uh, now he was he he looked pretty fragile. He was kind of scary. Cool. So the the Jimmy Valiant and uh, Midnight Express match, uh, what 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 did you think overall? Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. The crowd was eating it up. It was uh, it was definitely a pre main event match, like because it wasn't like a super great match. It was just a fun match. And yeah. So, and what was the finish? Uh, uh, Bobby Eaton jumped off the top rope and got caught with a. Uh, uppercut from Miss Atlanta Lively that looked really good. And, um, of course, Jimmy Valiant and Dennis Condry were mucking it up in the corner. And this was a bloody affair, too. And uh, the Miss Atlanta Lively got the pin. That's so crazy. <laughs> I would. I, I want to know. I got to look that up to see why he was. Uh, so, you, so, so you said that, yeah, the play-by-play the -play guys didn't mention that uh, – Ron Garvin was in drag. So was it supposed to be something that you didn't know? I don't so I don't remember the actual storyline. So was it was it that you were not supposed that they just play it up that he actually was a woman? Yeah, they didn't mention Ron Ronnie Garvin one time. I don't I don't believe so. They called him Miss Atlanta Lively the whole entire time. That's insane. <laughs> See the just how far NWA was advanced in social and social issues like uh transgender yeah true all those years ago all those years ago okay next <laughs> match uh it makes me sad because i would rather the Midnight express have been wrestling the rock and roll express but Midnight express oh, yeah, uh, been, yeah yeah but it ended up being the rock and roll express versus ivan and nikita koloff again juice bleeding from foreheads <laughs> uh, and uh, selling and uh, hot tags. So Yeah, this was the main uh, event of the Green – was it the Greensboro show? I Yes. I think it was, yeah. And uh, it was a good main event, I, I thought. Uh, it was. It was. I mean, Ricky Morton uh, and Robert Gibson are almost divine in those areas. Absolutely. I don't remember what led up to this match. As far as like the storyline, uh, was it just? Um, I mean, were the were the Rock and Roll Express were they defending uh, democracy and freedom against uh, Ivan and Nikita Koloff? Or <laughs> probably that's all it took back then. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, just uh, the way feuds started back back in those days were just it was nice and simple and and believable. Like I don't like you; you're from another country. You know yeah, but so. This the, this was a pretty good match, but it was it was still kind of a standard sort of rock and roll express yeah. uh, match. Uh, I don't remember anything that was that crazy about it, uh, but it was just you know solid tag team wrestling. Yep, just uh, 
I think as uh, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew are to heel tag teams, the Rock and Roll Express are to face tag teams on what yeah. to watch. I would like to, now I think about it, I'd like to see a match between those guys. It probably happened. Yeah, I have to look that up after we get done here. So uh, what So what do you think overall? Great match. Uh, it was a nice quick uh, finish with uh, Morton rolling up Ivan. And then um, Crusher, Crusher Khrushchev came in and tried to interfere. Oh, and Don, and Don, Chernod- and Don Chernodal was there. Yeah, yeah, he even bladed. He, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good tag match. I, I mean, there's nothing bad to say about it. So, main event, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes versus Ric Flair. Uh, two of the all-time greatest wrestlers um, together, Starcade 1985. In my mind, <laughs> I made my wife watch this. This was the like about a month ago. I made like while my wife was still in bed, getting up one one uh, Saturday morning. I made her watch this match. <laughs> uh, I I I love this match. I always have. Um, it's it's not the best Dusty Rose match. It's not the best Ric Flair match. But it's just a solid main event, and uh, there's a lot of emotion and energy, and it really felt like it was a big deal. What was your uh, What was your wife's opinion of it? She liked it. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, because she's not and a huge wrestling fan, is she? She likes wrestling, okay. and she but she does. She's not a huge fan. Yeah, Dusty Rhodes. Uh, I mean, just. It's not like he was much to look at, but man, I tell you, he got those people. He was, he just knew how to capture those people. And, uh, Ric Flair was just a, yeah, he's divine in Charlotte too. You know, like yes. he's, I'm sure a lot of people probably worship him in the North Carolina area as, a... <laughs> uh, I, I, and Dusty is just as revered. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe even more. Because of course Dusty, of course, was back. You know, was the good guy back in the day. Yeah, um, just the common man. <laughs> Actually, you, you, I was uh, watching uh, some uh, WWF Dusty Rhodes stuff today, uh, just because I was listening. I listened to the first episode of the uh, Bruce Pritchard podcast, and the topic was Dusty Rhodes. So it's kind of funny that you uh, you mentioned the common man. So <laughs> that, that I haven't listened to any other episode yet, but the first episode is definitely worth listening if anybody wants to check out something else. Uh, but yeah, so um, but you know, this just felt like felt like a big deal. Uh, it felt like uh, two guys in their prime at the top of their game. Uh, it just had a big fight feel to it, and I mean, it was just it was it, it, it it's a good it's it's a good match. Uh, I think Dusty does a fantastic job of uh, playing to the fans and getting the fans emotionally invested. Yeah, that's that's always, of course, the key to a good face. Is uh, doesn't matter what you look like; it just matters uh, if you can get the people to connect to you or not. And Dusty Rhodes had that magic. I don't think he was ever really. After he turned face, he never went back to being a heel, did he? Besides, not that I know, not that I know of. I think he was kind of considered a heel when he was in the NWO, but the people still loved him. I think. I so I, I that I, by that point I was not watching WCW, so I do not remember that at all. But yeah, well, I don't think he ever looked back after this. So, and of course, my first exposure to Dusty Rhodes was in WWF when he was the polka dot, or in the polka dots, 
and I loved him then. Yeah, that's when he was doing the common man gimmick. <laughs> well, it's, it's real funny going back and watching some of these and then um, thinking about my first exposure to a lot of these guys. Because a lot of it was when they were kind of past their prime in WWF. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I again, I, I was a WWF kid, so it was um, after eh, – it might have been – yeah, no, it was definitely after 85 uh, when – Dusty was in WWF, very tail end of the eighties. Yeah, he was in eighty nine, so, I think. So, so it would have been about the same time that I saw this when uh, my grandma let me borrow all of her um, uh, NWA tapes. <laughs> so, uh, it didn't. I mean, honestly, Dusty was one of those rare talents that came in with their name and their gimmick for the most part. Yeah. Uh, and so it didn't strike me as too odd that the polka dot Dusty was, you know, the same. It, 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 he was very clearly the same guy that, uh, you know, this Dusty was with the black trunk. Oh, yeah, the black trunks and the black boots. Yeah, at least they didn't try to, like, uh, bring him in as, like, the garbage man or something or. That would have been awesome. <laughs> so, what, what, one thing I didn't, what one thing I didn't realize, I, well, I, I'd heard it before, but it was nice to hear it substantiated in that Bruce Pritchard podcast. Uh, Dusty was going to be uh, Vince's big uh, face, the big hero, uh, before uh, Hulk Hogan came into the picture. Oh wow! Yeah, he was. He wanted uh, Dusty to be the guy to you know the, to drive the company, uh, and apparently Dusty came up and did some shows like in Madison Square Garden and, and such. But apparently, uh, Rocky Three was what uh, sealed the deal for Hogan. Yeah, yeah, because that was just nobody could get better exposure than that. Nope. That would be very interesting. I'd like to see like an alternate timeline where Dusty Rhodes was the Hulk Hogan. In my heart, he is. <laughs> <He's Hulk Hogan. laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, of course, the match. Uh, I mean, goes back and forth. It's not a one-sided match. Uh, they both get a good, a lot of good offense, and uh, of course, ultimately, Dusty wins the match. And um, so this would, I guess, have been the uh, the second or the third title run. Oh, okay. I thought he beat Harley Race. He beat Harley Race for the second one. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So that so Rick, uh, when he talks about uh, which title run meant the most to him. It was when he uh, faced Harley Race, which I actually have the um, uh, pro uh, program from that uh, match from '83, uh, I think, Starcade '83. Oh wow, where'd you get that? My, at? my grandma, she was there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's something to keep on to. Yeah, hold up. Yeah, uh, I need to dig that out. It's in a box somewhere. You gotta frame that thing. I should, you know. I yeah, that's a good idea. It's in my closet. I need to I need to dig dig that out and put it in the frame. Yeah, if you could go to one of those conventions where Ric Flair's at, you could have him sign it. That'd be. Yeah, funny thing is, it seems like Rick doesn't go to wrestling conventions. <laughs> it seems like he goes to comic conventions. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but maybe he'll go to a Jolanta. That would be awesome. <laughs> but yeah, this uh, I found it funny is that this one ended with a small package too. Mm -hmm. A lot of these uh, main events of the NWA ended in small packages. I mean, reason being, you know, uh, anything can happen. It, it was presented as a real, um, you know, contest or sport. So it, occasionally people pull one out and win that way. So 
Yeah, that's that is the great thing about this era of wrestling is you just never knew. Like today's era, you can tell when the matches are getting ready to end. For the most part, for the most part, yeah, there's definitely a, a structure and flow, and and a lot of a lot of ways there's a structure and flow to these as well. I mean, you know, I loved I love Ric Flair, but there's a, a Ric Flair style match that usually ends like it. You know, especially if it's a one hour time limit, it might run, it might end at fifty seven minutes. <laughs> but uh, sort of the way it <laughs> works out. But overall, uh, I-, I love the card. Um, it's one of my favorites ever. has one of my- has my favorite match ever. Uh, and I-, I really enjoyed watching this. And like I said, I-, I try to watch it at least every few years. See here, what did you think overall? Uh, great show, a lot of fun. I had fun watching it. I didn't have any trouble getting through it. Um, I didn't watch it straight through, but. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was just a fun show. It's good. It's just fun to watch wrestling in its prime. And that's kind of what I view this as. I think a lot of people view the attitude era as the prime of wrestling. It is not, but uh, this is definitely, this is the era. Yes, absolutely. And you know, like, and I say that being someone who lived through this, someone who preceded us came before us might actually say, well, no, it's, you know, the sixties, uh, like Ray Stevens and, and people like that. And, yeah, you know, I mean, I I can't argue that because there's not a lot of Ray Stevens footage out there to to go by, but uh, or you know before that, you know, like like the Luthes people <laughs> or, or you know what have you. So some guy out there, Frank Gotch is my favorite wrestler. Frank Gotch is the greatest of all time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we were talking before about maybe the next show next week uh, being Global Wrestling Federation USWA Challenge. Uh, September 10th, 1990, available on the WWE Network. Does that work for you? That works for me. So, JT, how do people get a hold of you? You can get a hold of me on tfradio.net slash H-O-G-G, and you say the second G with a smile. That takes you to uh, the JT Hog Facebook page. And you uh, you can give it a like. You can... Order merchandise off there. I have some wonderful T-shirts, uh, wonderful little stuffed pigs you can buy, and um, you can take me out to dinner <laughs> for the right price. Uh, actually, if somebody if somebody wanted to have you uh, show up at uh, like uh, an event or I don't know uh, at a uh, uh, let's say uh, the opening of a furniture store. <laughs> Could they do that? <laughs> oh, of course. Uh, yes, I'll I'll do anything. It'd be awesome. I'm, <laughs> I'll come and open your furniture store for you. I've always wanted to do some sort of promotion with maybe like a barbecue, like restaurant. That would be pretty sweet. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, you can find me personally uh, on Twitter at bkilby, uh, and, and you can find all of our podcasts, which are uh, primarily sort of nerd flavored podcasts. We we do a lot of Transformers podcasts, of course. That's our bread and butter. We were the first ever uh, Radio Free Cybertron is the original Transformers Internet Radio Show. Uh, we've been doing that since 1999. You can find that at tfradio.net, with, along with all of our other podcasts and all of our social media links and everything. Are available there. Well, JT, thank you for being here this week. Oh, I forgot one thing. Uh oh. I forgot. Uh, I just want to let uh, Diecast know I I heard him, and I'm coming for him. Good Diecast, you better watch out. JT is going to put a hurting on you, dude. Going to put a <laughs> hurting on you in a big way. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit him so hard they're just gonna have to call him Cass because I'm gonna knock the die right out of him. Oh man, he is. Woo, 
maybe we can uh i don't let's see there's going to be an event in atlanta georgia in march it's a convention called joe lanta uh there is going to be uh, a heavy heavy uh focus on Transformers during this convention. It's actually going to have sort of like a Transformers convention within a convention. So I know Diecast will be there. Maybe JT Hogg could show up and uh, teach uh, Diecast uh, not to run his mouth. I'll teach him a little respect the old-fashioned way. Well, I wouldn't want to be Diecast right now. Well, JT, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. We'll catch you guys next week. Uh, between now and then, of course, watch uh, Global Wrestling Federation USWA Challenge, September 10th, 1990. We'll see you next week. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.